All right. Um, this morning, we're going to start a new five-week series that we're going to be on until uh, basically we'll, f- we'll finish it one week into September. But I'm not one to kind of like start a series and then be like, hey, you got to be here every week because this is going to be the best thing you've ever heard. Um, but I will say the, the series that we're going to go into for the next five weeks I think is, is p- pivotal. I think it's important for the life of our church. And uh, a few months ago, as we were kind of entering into summer and we were wrapping up the book of Matthew, we had thought it would be really neat to go past Matthew and get into the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. And so we went through the first two chapters of the book of Acts um, up until June. And the purpose for that was we wanted to get to uh, the conversation on the Holy Spirit, the, the day of Pentecost, and how the Holy Spirit came and and what that looked like in the first century church. And so for the next five weeks, what I really wanted to do was just spend some time talking about who the Holy Spirit is and then spend some time talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit and what those are for. And so today, um, you know, I'm not like a teachy-teachy type person. Um, I might be more of like a preachy-preachy type person. But uh, (laughs) this morning, I've got a ton of notes, and it's way more teachy-teachy. But... Uh, I, I think that the opportunity this morning is for us to just kind of hear who is the Holy Spirit? Who's the person of the Holy Spirit? Because many of us are asking that question. Uh, a lot of us have a lot of misunderstanding and misguided thoughts based on uh, ex- prior experiences that we've had in churches or in other groups. And not the, please understand for me this morning, um, I'm learning with you as we go in this. And um, I am not the end-all, be-all, and the answer man to all of these things. But what my heart really is is for us to just kind of flesh it out and dig in and see what Scripture has to say and try to come to a real biblical, biblical, holistic perspective on who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is in the church, and what the gifts are for you and I today. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. Are you guys with me? We're all good this morning? Okay. Dude, I had the weirdest thing happen today, and I wasn't going to talk about this, but Sam asked me to. So, anybody ever had a mosquito fly into their ear? This mosquito flew into my ear like four hours ago, and I'm not even lying. It's been in my ear for four hours. So, we're going to pray it out in Jesus' name this morning, all right? So, let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for this morning and the opportunity we have to come before you and learn from you this morning, God. We know that you are our teacher, that you are truth. And um, so, Jesus, we draw near to you this morning. We ask that you would lead us. Jesus, I submit just my heart, my mind, my mouth to you this morning. And I pray for all of us, God, that our hearts just be opened up to what it is you have to speak to us this morning. God, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would be moving and present and active in your church today. And uh, so, Jesus, we just give you this time. We pray that you are honored and just glorified in our midst and get this dang bug out of my ear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, I know it's so weird. Sam was like, you got to tell him that. And I was like, I don't know. It's weird. People are going to be sitting there the whole time thinking, like, dude's got a dead bug in his ear. But I do. So that's just the truth. Um, So we're going to talk about the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the weeks to come, Next week, we'll kind of set up the conversation on spiritual gifts, and then the three weeks after that, we'll kind of break those gifts into three categories and talk through um, all the gifts that we see presented to us in the scriptures. And so, might I just remind us this morning that throughout this series, I really want to anchor 
anchor our, our understanding of and our experience with the Holy Spirit to the scriptures. Like that, that's really my goal. And I want to preface this whole thing by saying like, I, again, I wish I had it all figured out, but um, sometimes I feel like um, I, I'm learning as I go and trying to figure this out on my own. And so um, depending on your background, you may or may not have heard much about the Holy Spirit at all in your life. Some church traditions tend to be fairly uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's as though they, they believe in him, but they just don't talk about him very much. And I think it's often out of the desire to avoid the pitfalls that we often see in the modern church that, that have been created in, in their attempts to focus on the Holy Spirit. We've created the, these pitfalls. And there, there's primarily two different views you find churches taking with regards to the Holy Spirit's role in the church today. Uh, there's one perspective called cessationism, uh, which goes so far as to say that the gifts and the miracles of the Spirit ceased with the end of the apostolic age. So when the apostles died, the gifts of the Spirit ceased to exist from then on. And so, uh, again, when, when the apostles were done, uh, the first century apostles, when they passed away, then the, the gifts ceased. The other perspective is one called continuationism, and continuationism, uh, continuationism, ism, yeah, whatever, How, you know what I'm saying, um, is basically the thought that the gifts are for today, they continue on in the same way that we read of them in the book of Acts and the, the epistles in the first century church, like that they continue on today. And so if you come from a more charismatic background, as I have, you may have heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've seen, maybe you've experienced things that, that you would attribute to the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's like a longing in your heart to see and experience like a greater degree of his working in your life and in the church. But maybe with that longing, you also realize that, that there, there's some of the things that you saw as a kid or even a, as an adult in the charismatic church were not healthy and were not well anchored in scripture. They were just kind of going for it and winging it of sorts. And I think that it's, it's easy for charismatic circles to sort of flow from the, this overemphasis on the experiential side of things over scripture itself, rather than the scriptures being the thing that guides our experience. The, there, in, in many charismatic circles, the experience sort of guides their understanding of scripture. And I think that's a bit backwards. And so this has been my wrestling over the years as I've grown up in charismatic circles. That, those were the streams that I grew up in. I consider myself a charismatic person. But by charismatic, I mean streams of Christianity that emphasize the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that emphasize spiritual gifts and modern day miracles in every part of the believer's life. Uh, I, I would say I, I believe that 100%. However, here's the issue is that even the various church factions that say little about the Holy Spirit or expect little of the Holy Spirit are actually still vulnerable to, to flowing from this overemphasis on experience over Scripture as well because there's two sides of this pendulum. Like Just like charismatic circles, right? It, it, it might be personal experience or it might be their religious traditions that they grew up in, but ultimately it comes down to, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit still heals, still does miracles, still gives supernatural gifts like prophecy and tongues or speaks frequently or, or empowers believers because I've never seen it or experienced it in my church or in my life. 
And so much like the charismatic side of things, it still hinges on your experience. And so what I want to encourage us in is that Scripture should direct our experience, right? It should direct our experience, not the other way around. The experience directs Scripture. Scripture should direct experience. And so I'm really hoping in the weeks to come we can sort of lay down some of our pet theologies on the Holy Spirit take kind of a scriptural look at the role and the person of the Spirit, who is he, what's his purpose, as well as take a look at what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. What are they? How do we get them? How do we use them? Because I don't think that a church can be more handicapped than to be void of the contribution of spiritual gifts through the believers in the church. Like, there's not much more of a handicap than that. Because the spiritual gifts were given to us by the Spirit for the edification of the body of Christ. So remove the spiritual gifts from the believer's life, and what is it that's actually moving and bringing life to Jesus' church? Nothing. Like, the, the gifts are that which the Spirit uses through us to be a blessing to his church. And so, first question I want to answer this morning, try my best answer, is who is the Holy Spirit, and what does he do? A lot of people talk about what the Holy Spirit does and what happens when he comes, but just who is the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a force? Is the Holy Spirit some sort of like mystical wind? Because there seems to be a lot of wrestling in the minds of Christians about this. We think that the Old Testament is about the Father, and then the New Testament is about the Son, and so that leaves the, 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 the third person of this Trinity a little absent from our understanding of God altogether. Like, who is he? And so if the Holy Spirit is absent from our understanding of God, and all we hinge on are the Father and the Son, then he'll actually be absent from our devotions, Right? And if he's absent from our devotions, he's actually going to be absent from our lives completely. And just as much as we seek to know and to fellowship with God the Father, I think that it's paramount for us that we also long to know and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And in order to have sort of a clear understanding of the Spirit, we need to know three things. Who is the Holy Spirit? Um, Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? And what does the Holy Spirit do? What's the purpose? What's his purpose? And so the Holy Spirit is God. And this might seem obvious to many of us in this room, but I think that our generation needs to actually hear this now more than ever, that the Holy Spirit is God. He's God. And so as this third person of the Trinity, like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit deserves the same reverence and, and glory and worship and importance and respect as do the other persons of the Godhead, the Father and the Son. And so when Jesus commands his disciples to baptize, he tells them to do what? In the the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. He says, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which shows that, that this Holy Spirit shares in the authority, shares in the power, shows in the reverence of Jesus and God the Father, that they're all in this together. And so in Scripture, we see this like reference after reference to the divinity of the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is God, that we see him referred to as eternal. We see him referred to as omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. We, we see him referred to as creator. We see him referred to as the one who gives life. We see him as 
the author of prophecy, the creator of prophecy. He, we see him as the one who commands and the one who forbids. And so as Christians, the, this truth is actually paramount to our faith, that, that we do believe that there's a Father and a Son and the Holy Spirit, that they are one Godhead in three persons with, with three different functions. And so in the same way that it would be impossible to have true fellowship with someone that denied the fact that Jesus is God, it would actually be impossible to have fellowship with anyone who denies the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think a really good practical challenge for you and I, I think, is to begin regularly even praying to the Spirit, right? That, that He is God and He has all power and authority and glory, just as the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force that's at work in the universe, but rather he's the very person of God. This is why I think some translations that use the phrase Holy Ghost in them have done a bit of harm in helping us understand who the Holy Spirit actually is because the Greek and the Hebrew vocabulary use these terms, ghost and spirit, interchangeably. And the problem that is then in our American vocabulary, our only context for ghost is something like a gas or an apparition. We think of ghostbusters. We think of these weird, mysterious things. That's our only concept of ghost. And so when we read of that in certain translations of the Bible, it's hard for us to separate the, the spirit as being a person when we immediately attach ghost to something that we see in movies or that we've heard of in, in books and things we've read or, or seen in our American culture. But it doesn't help us like, attach a, like a personhood to the Spirit when we Americans think of a, a ghost. Like we also think of the Holy Spirit as like this force to be wielded, right? Rather than a person that you're actually accountable to. Like we don't wield him, but, but rather we submit and we obey him. We submit to him and we obey him. Um, R.A. Torrey, the, the late 1800s, early 1900s evangelist says this, if we think of the Holy Spirit as merely power, we will say, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as divine person, our thought will instead be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? So Jesus repeatedly like, refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. Like, we, we should take note of the fact that the Holy Spirit carries every mark of personality, right? That, that, that he has knowledge and feeling and emotion, likes and dislikes, character and, and a will. Like we often meditate on the love of Jesus, but how often do we meditate on the love of the Spirit, like his will for us, his patience? There are many passages in scripture that, that reference the personality of the Spirit, right? That he has knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter two, that he can be grieved in Ephesians four, that he has a will in 1 Corinthians 12, that he has a mind in Romans 8, that he loves in Romans 15, that he is good in Nehemiah 9, that he's a leader in Romans 8, that, that we can have communion with him in 2 Corinthians 13. And we also see that the Holy Spirit doing works and things that, could only that, that he does works that only a person can do, right? That we will come back to this in a little bit, but the Spirit does things that seem to only be things that a person could actually accomplish. Second thing is that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. 
And so depending on the translation of the Bible that you read, it'll call him an advocate. It'll call him a, a helper. And this title is given to him over and over again. John 14, uh, John 15, John 16. The, the actual word in the Greek by, by which we get these translations like means so much more than, than what I'm about to share with you. The word translated as advocate or helper in the Greek is this word parakletos, or simply paraclete. And, and translators have had a hard time finding a real translation for this word into English, and so some have gone to the extent of translating the word by using a phrase, that he's the one who pleads our cause. He's our advocate. And, and it literally means that, that, he's, that, that, that there's one called to another's side. It's the same word used in, in 1 John chapter 2 to refer to Christ also as our advocate. And we shouldn't think of the Holy Spirit as someone who's far away from us, right? But rather, this word describes him as being right there, like right with us, like alongside of us, that the Spirit is with us and alongside of us. This Greek word parakletos is derived from this Greek, uh, the, the Greek verb paracline, which means to summon or to call in. And in the same way that somebody would call a counselor or an advocate to come plead their case in a court of law, this is the same thing. Like every time this word is used in ancient Greek, it's used as a way to summon for help or aid in some kind. Like the spirit is our helper. It's our counselor. He's our advocate. He's got our back. William Barclay says this, Pericletos is a person who is called in to help in a situation which a man himself cannot cope. Listen to this quote. He also says that in secular Greek, the most characteristic usage of both paracline and parakletos is in connection with help given in some kind of legal trial. In Greece, the parakletos was the friend of the accused person called in to speak in support of his character in order to enlist the symphony of the judges in his favor. Paracline is used most of all in sending troops who are about to go into battle. It is the word of the rallying call. The word could very well also be translated as encourager. To put into modern language, the Holy Spirit makes men able to cope with life. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit is in fact the fulfillment of this promise. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So where does the Holy Spirit dwell? The Holy Spirit dwells within every believer, we believe. The Holy Spirit literally makes his home in every heart, in every life of every believer from the moment that they are saved. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus said, it's your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I send him to you, John 16, 7. I bet at that point when Jesus is making that statement, the disciples were thinking, like, Jesus, how can it be better for you to leave us? Like, that just doesn't even make any sense, right? After all, th there's nothing better than being with Jesus. Like, how does it get any better to have you leave? And the only thing that would be, would be better than to be face-to-face -face with God would to actually be to have God within us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is to us. Isaiah 
had prophesied that the Messiah would be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And if God is with us, then the Holy Spirit is God in us. And so the person of this Trinity that we interact with most is actually the Holy Spirit. Like, he, he lives in us. When we hear God or we're moved by God, remember that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing that. If we ask the Father to guide us, his response will be to send the Holy Spirit to lead us. Like, we, we must get to know him. But, but once we realize that he is in us, we will be more aware of him and what he's doing and what he allows us to, to share in with regards to his work that he's doing. But we have to be this holy temple that it's referred to. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us, right? These are big Christian words. And we'll talk about that more later, but W.K. Volkmer says this, holiness is not the way to salvation, but it's always the product of salvation. So we, we don't become holy to get saved. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit's work within us that sanctifies us and makes us holy as Christ is holy. That's really good news for you and I. Do you feel holy this morning? I, like, by the grace of God, I've been made holy and righteous by the working of his Holy Spirit within me. But we also know that the Holy Spirit hates sin, right? And scripture says that our actions and our decisions are actually able to, are capable of grieving the Holy Spirit. And so the, the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 <clears throat> that I referenced earlier is that Paul is saying that he, com he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And Paul was encouraging the, the, the believers in Corinth uh, to steer clear of sexual immorality because their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It houses God. So we resist sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? In John 16, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I want to break this down in this passage to understand what the Holy Spirit does. So I'm going to put this passage I'm not going to put it up here, but Kirk is going to put this passage up on the screen for me. John 16, 5 through 15. I want you to read this with me. <clears throat> but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, read this, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Three things that the Holy Spirit does. Convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Goes on to say, verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, that he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. So the first thing that, that we see in this passage that the Holy Spirit does is convicts of sin. This is not something we like to talk about, right? Sin, conviction. But it's actually necessary for our salvation that we realize that we need to be saved. I mean, who in here, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, did not at first realize how far off you are and how bad you needed him? Anybody in here not come to Jesus like that? It's not the way to Christ. There's a recognition of the fact that like, man, I am off. I'm a sinful person and I desperately need the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts, the one that brings, sheds that light on that, on, on that area of our life for us so that we have understanding that we actually need somebody else to make up for our deficit. It's interesting, when we were reading Acts a couple months ago, there was an instance where Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus. And he, he proclaims his life and his death and his resurrection. And the men who heard Peter preaching, it says that they were cut to the heart by Peter's words. Like cut to the heart by his words. So who was it that cut to the heart by the words of Peter? Who did that? Did Peter do that because he's such an eloquent teacher, like such an awesome communicator? No. It's the Holy Spirit moving through Peter that's actually cutting to people's hearts. Like, honestly, I, I, be very transparent this morning. My struggle in church a lot of times is that we can come in here each and every week, we can hear a passage from the Bible. We can leave and feel really good about ourselves and really good about our life and totally neglect and reject what it is we just listened to and the passage that we opened up. We can actually get up every single day and open up our Bibles to read from it to begin to like study God's word and to walk away from it and not allow it to do anything or produce anything in us. And I would say like, what a bummer. Because the whole purpose of his word is for us to store it in our hearts, for our lives to be challenged and encouraged and equipped by what it is we read. But if you want to be challenged, encouraged, equipped by anything, it actually has to get to your heart first, doesn't it? Nothing's gonna move you to action just because you were told to do it necessarily. It's gonna be a movement of the Spirit in your heart that begins to lead you to walk out the truths of Jesus as you read about them. Second thing is that the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. Like he convicts the world of righteousness because Jesus has gone with the Father. Like, he actually convinces us that Jesus is the only one that is righteous, that, that he whom the world condemned is actually the only righteous one. Like, you'll hear this everywhere outside of the church, right, that God is not good. Everybody outside of the church will say, God is not good, that, that Jesus is not righteous. So who is it that actually convinces us that he actually is good and that he actually is righteous when the world tells us something completely opposite. Who is it that does that? It's the Holy Spirit that actually leads us to think contrary to what the world tells us, that he actually is good. The Holy Spirit comes to convince the world that he is righteous, that, that he is ascended on high, that he is seated 
at the right hand of the Father, and that to him has been given all power and all authority. And he also convinces us that, that just as he overcame and sat on the Father's throne at the right hand of the Father, that we too can overcome and sit on his throne. Like we, we, to, to say that he convicts us to be righteous is to say that he is righteous and that we ought also do what is right, like to walk what he walked, to live in obedience to the one who is leading us. Next thing, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. And this has to be understood in, in the context of the way that Jesus gives it, that the ruler of this world is judged, as he says in John 16. So at Jesus' trial, you have these Roman authorities and you have these Jewish leaders that had judged and pronounced that Jesus of Nazareth was guilty, right? But in reality, the, the cross was the judgment of who? Not of Jesus. Who was the cross the judgment of? Satan, the enemy. Like the cross was actually the, Jesus flipped the table on him. He turned it. Like it, it was like a dupe, right? You think this is me who's getting judged. Actually, I'm going to the cross to judge the enemy to literally make up the sins of all of mankind so that mankind can be forgiven through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Little did they know that it wasn't Jesus who was being judged by the Roman authorities and the Jewish officials. It was actually the enemy by Jesus' work on the cross. Next thing is the Holy Spirit speaks. Um, the Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time. Like, we need to be a people who tune into him, and, and we need to be listening to his prompting. We, we need to not hesitate when he leads. The Holy Spirit will actually speak to us through personal revelation. He'll speak to us through, like, words that are revealed in, in his scriptures, and he'll speak to us through brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, if you get the combo of the three on any big decision you're making in your life, like, he's spoken to you, his word has then uh, has also validated that. And then brothers and sisters in the Lord are coming alongside and saying, we're hearing God with you in this. What an amazing opportunity to make a decision in that moment because you know that it wasn't just you leading on your own to make that decision, but that God was leading you in that process. And he did so by surrounding you with his word, allowing his spirit to speak to you through his word and with other people in the church that would validate what it was the, 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 that Jesus was saying through his Holy Spirit. Man, this is one of the most amazing things. When we talk about community, we talk about body life in the church, we live in an individualistic society. We wanna make decisions on our own. We don't wanna include God in our decisions because we're afraid of what he'll say. We don't wanna include anybody else in those decisions because we feel like they won't get us and maybe they'll tell us something different than what we think, and so we will just make decisions on our own. Can anybody in this room tell me how making decisions on your own has gone for you in your life? Not very well. Because there's something about the Spirit moving through his word and through others and through him revealing himself to you that begins to be this like combo, this like force to be reckoned with as we are this people being led by his Spirit. Like he speaks to us. But we also shouldn't be expecting like some sort of like supernatural revelation from God when, when he's spoken us, to us through his word, like the author of scriptures. And, and we sort of sit back and, you know, the Bible says, 
Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So all scripture is inspired by God, but it's specifically inspired by God by way of what? His Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who speaks to us through his word. It's the Spirit who enlightens the word, right? Gives us the revelation from God through his word. This is another reason why, like, I will continue to sort of, like, I don't reiterate this till like a broken record, but like how can we be the church of Jesus if we never open up the scriptures to allow the spirit to speak to us through his word? In fact, we're often afraid to open them up because we're afraid of what might be spoken to us. And so we'll just leave it shut. Or we're afraid that we'll read and we won't get anything out of it. And I'm going to tell you what, it's been in the seasons of my life where I've opened up his word and I've sat in his presence and maybe for an hour did not get anything that ended up being some of the sweetest moments that I've ever had with Jesus because it wasn't about me getting an answer. It was about me drawing to close to him first. What an amazing opportunity we have, church, to, to be a people that have this blueprint, this manual of sorts, this book that we've been given that isn't just like a bunch of rules and regulations but it's an opportunity for you to get to know your father, to truly get to know him. It makes sense that the world would tell you it's false. It makes sense that more often than not, when days you get up and you go, I just don't feel it today. I just put it away. It makes sense that you'd have opposition there because there's something really significant in it and there's an opportunity for you to learn and to grow from it if you submit yourself to it. Last thing is that the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. Like, I love the relationship that the Spirit has with Jesus. Like, the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. And Jesus always stands up for the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 12, 31 and 32, it says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit always exalts Jesus. It's no wonder that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Like, you can count on this, right? Any word of prophecy or knowledge or word of wisdom from within or, or from someone else or any thought that does not glorify Christ is not of the Spirit. Like, a Christian does not long to worship and exalt Christ in word, in, in thought, in deed. Like, that, that just doesn't come natural. It's Christ, it's the Holy Spirit in us that exalts Jesus, to, that gives us that longing to worship and to exalt Jesus in thought and in deed. Like, it's his Spirit moving through us. There's a ton of other functions of the Spirit that I'm not gonna have uh, time to get into today, but the, the Holy Spirit is one that regenerates a believer. Like, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but it's the work of the Spirit in us that purifies us. Um, the, the, the Spirit gives life. Like, literally, it's the Spirit breathing life into us that, that causes us to live. The, the Spirit produces righteous fruit in us, Galatians 5, right? The, the Spirit fills us with power so that we can witness to others, Acts 1.8. The Spirit gifts us for the work of ministry, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. The Spirit leads us. The, the Spirit calls us into His work. The Spirit prays for us and intercedes for us on our behalf. The, the Spirit created all things. The Spirit makes us more like Christ. The Spirit writes his word on our hearts. 
And I want to leave you with this thought this morning. That, you know, the fact that I think we need the gospel, but we need more than the gospel. Like, we actually need the Bible, but we need more than the Bible, right? We need preaching, but we need more than preaching. We need to live out our faith, but we need more than living out our faith. We need the Holy Spirit to be at work in all of these facets because we can inform somebody about Jesus, but who is it that causes the transformation to happen in that person's heart? It's the Spirit. We can preach the gospel, but only the, 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 only the Spirit can take, to, can take a, a spiritually dead person and then begin to make them alive again in God. It's only the Spirit. We can share the light of the gospel, but only the Spirit can actually open a blind eye. Only the Spirit can help, see, help people see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. With the right skill set, I mean, we've seen this in our, in our nation. With the right skill set, you can draw massive crowds. We can say all the right things and get tons of people there. We can attract a lot of people. But it's only the Spirit that baptizes them and makes them Jesus' church. That's the work of the Spirit. And that's why Jesus took the best trained, like the best taught, the most motivated believers ever, right, that he spent three years with, to learn from him, and he said, you're not ready. And then he said, you'd, you'd get nowhere and accomplish nothing. Like, wait for the power of the Spirit, and then I'll send you out into the world. Like, these were the best trained, the ones that had witnessed him day in and day out for three years. And Jesus says, hold up. Wait for the Spirit to come upon you. It's at the point at which the Spirit comes upon you and moves through you that you'll begin to reach others because it will be the Spirit's doing, not yours. And Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because I'm gonna send the Spirit. Paul warns us not to quench the Spirit, which means it's possible for believers and churches to actually quench the Spirit. Like, that grieves my heart, that it's possible for us to quench his Spirit. The, the book of Acts is all about the church filled with the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul literally writes chapters about cultivating and pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. He, he writes to be filled with the Spirit, and then he urges us to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And so whatever background you come from this morning, whatever direction that your heart sort of leans, are you very charismatic, or, or are you more of a, uh, you know, are, are you a cessationist, are you... Are, are you a continuationist? Like, where do you land on this? What streams did you grow up in? Like, no matter what your background is, I would ask this morning that we all come to God's word with open hearts and open minds to hear what he has to say about his spirit. And my prayer for us is, as I've been like kind of prepping for this five weeks, which has been like oddly gruesome beyond, you know, a mosquito flying in my ear. Um, because what I want more than anything is to see like a, a genuine move of God in my day, in my lifetime. Like I'm sick of hearing about him. I can go read the books and watch the documentaries and hear about these amazing things that God did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 400 years ago, 800 years, like go down the list. I can read about it all. And at the end of the day, I think to myself, 
Very cool that that happened then for them. But what about us for now? Will we lead the charge? And when I say that, I don't mean like, let's literally develop the best worship leaders, the most equipped musicians, the best communicators, like the people that are most equipped. I'm saying maybe we need to wait a little bit longer for the Holy Spirit to do his thing and allow it to be led by him. Maybe we need to wait on him, seek his face. I mean, the reason we've been doing some of these prayer and worship nights really has been an opportunity for our church to say, you know what, preaching is good, gathering on Sundays is really good, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if it's not the Spirit that's directing us, then we're moving in and of our own might, and there's no power in that. We need the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do, and in order for that to happen, as I'm looking at your faces in this room, I'm thinking, he has literally equipped and gifted every single one of you in this room. Every one of you. The lie that you've bought is that Chris is the one who's gifted to speak, and you know Josh can lead worship, and Kyle can lead worship, and you know there's people that can play drums and play instruments, and there's people that can lead in the kids' ministry, and I'm just the one that's been called to come sit in the chair and partake of the giftedness of those that would stand before me and share it with me on a Sunday morning. It's a lie. Because the lie is each and every one of you in this room, as we'll discover in the weeks to come, have been gifted and equipped by God. And the church will be handicapped until the church realizes you all have something to offer. And if the church doesn't all start to bring their gift set together, this very diverse, multifaceted group of people, then the church will never quite be what God intended for it to be because it's only backing up on the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people supposedly are gifted and called while 80% sit and watch the 20 do what they're called to do. That's not the church. So my prayer for you is that God would pour his spirit out on Anthem CDA, like in a fresh and powerful way, amen? Like let's expect with faith to see the spirit's good works in our lives and in our church. Let's ask God to give us fresh boldness, like to be witnesses for Jesus literally everywhere we go. Let, let's commit to literally altering our experience to fit scripture, rather than altering our understanding of scripture to fit our experience. Let's commit to his word. And as we come to the table this morning, we're gonna take communion. I'm gonna ask the, the band to come up here. And what an awesome day for us to take communion because we take communion this morning as a reminder of the power offered to us by the Holy Spirit that comes only through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. What a great reminder this morning. It's a reminder this morning that we are powerless without the sacrifice of Jesus. We are powerless without it. And if you find yourself in a place this morning wondering why everything you've reached for in this life left you high and dry and powerless, if you've come here this morning thinking, I've tried it all and I still feel just as drained, I still feel just as powerless, My prayer for you is that you may find yourself at the end of your rope, standing before the cross of Jesus this morning, recognizing the fact that maybe all those other ways were dead ends because you're meant to look Jesus in the face this morning, to receive power from him by way of his Holy Spirit, by way of his sacrifice, his body broken and his blood shed 
Let me pray for us, and then um, I'm going to invite Neil up here to lead us in communion. Jesus, I just I want to thank you for each individual in this room. God, even while I'm up here talking this morning, I just feel like there's certain individuals that you've identified this morning that there's just a wrestling going on in their hearts. There are people who have just rejected anything that has to do with the Spirit because of this whole mystical side, God, that they just can't buy into or they've just seen it abused. But there's also those in this room that have continued to say, that's just not for today, which seems to lack the power that you have granted your church by way of your spirit today. And for Anthem Coeur d'Alene, Jesus, I just pray for a fresh falling of your Holy Spirit upon this place and these people. God, we cannot reach a city we cannot reach a neighbor, we cannot reach a coworker, or a family member with the gospel of Jesus unless it's you prompting us and you guiding that conversation and you leading them to yourself through us, Jesus. And so I pray this morning that those in this room who are wrestling in their hearts might stop dead in their tracks this morning and recognize that maybe today's the day to just stop, to surrender to trust you with their life, to surrender their lives to you, Jesus, to allow your Holy Spirit to come in, to be the power that they've needed to walk this life out. And I pray for us that have followed you for years, God. It seems as though the older we get, the easier it is to just go through the motions and do the things and still lack power. It seems like we're these people that talk about the Holy Spirit but never actually practice what we preach and I pray this morning God that we wouldn't be those heretics of sorts that we would be a people that would stand up and say I know who it is that empowers me the Holy Spirit and I'm going to walk in obedience trusting that no matter where he leads me that he has my best interest mapped out for me and the best interest of others mapped out for me and that you are going to lead all people to you Lord you are going to lead them to you. It's not going to be us. And so thank you for this morning, God. Thanks for opportunities in your church to gather, to study your word, to chew on this stuff with one another. I pray, Jesus, that as we leave here this morning, that we would just take with us, God, this thought that maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something more. Maybe, maybe we've grown powerless over the years as a result of the situations and the circumstances in our life that have just caused us to kind of push things aside but give us boldness and give us faith and give us the ability to trust the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives in Jesus name